You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I like to sell you know, like I want to be a salesman. I love sales. Um, and I'm up there selling, you know, I'm, I want you to buy my fucking product. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and this is the only podcast about comedy. Now, if the Edinburgh Fringe coverage and mentions of the Fringe have been turning you off over the last couple of weeks or months because you're unable to visit here, yes, here, I am still here uh, for the final week, uh, I thought I'd throw you a little curveball, maybe something to take your mind off uh, all of the uh, Edinburgh Festival doings if you're unable to get here. So this is an episode recorded with a fantastic American comedian called Nick Thune, uh, which I recorded in his uh, tiny but very well-appointed hotel room at the South by Southwest Festival in Texas earlier this year. Nick is just a sensational comedian. As you'll hear, he started off as a kind of one-liner guy, pretty quickly grew to understand how jokes work from the inside out, and then has decided to use that understanding and that skill to take himself into a very different sphere of comedy. I highly recommend his latest Netflix special. I'm recording this on the fly in Edinburgh, and I can't remember off the top of my head what it's called. It's got a it's got a name where you go, oh, he's thought about this. Um, and it's one of those... Uh, did I say Netflix? I may have meant Spotify. Um, I believe it's on Spotify. Probably by now, by the time you hear this, it will be on Netflix. He's that kind of a customer. Um, it's the sort of show, the most recent one at least, where you'll hear the first two jokes and you'll very quickly decide whether or not it's for you. If you like erudite well thought out, interesting and very funny, sort of good good funny gears underneath it kind of comedy, as I know many of you do, then you are really going to enjoy the work of Nick Thune. So that's a good, as good a starting point as any. What are the differences between you, the comic now? I mean, how long had you been going 10 years ago? Um, probably five years. Yeah, I've been in it about 15 years. Okay. Yeah. And he was so looking at the Facebook remembered. I was trying to remember, like what maybe what jokes were, were I doing at that point? Because you you've actually you've kind of changed styles pretty radically, haven't you? The stuff I've seen of you from maybe like nine years ago at Montreal, a sort of video, and you're doing one. Some line people line. call it changing styles. Some people call it growing. I feel like I've grown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. no, I no, I I, I don't know, I I. Uh, I actually hate, I resent that a little bit when people say that, like, because just, just this last week, because people, you know, they get really excited about, 
staff or somebody at a, at a venue will be really excited about me being there. And I'll be like, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like, I'm not going to do what it is that you liked about my standup that you heard fucking 10 years ago. Like that is of zero interest to me. And, and I actually now like look at that and hate that about band. Like, I remember that's what I hated about bands. It's like, what play the fucking hits, man. What are you doing? Why are you playing the hits? I don't want to hear your new shit. That's not even on an album yet, but that's what comedians have to do. If anybody likes comedy, if anybody respects a comedian, they better fucking hope that they've never heard one word that comes out of their mouth when they see him live. And then in the end, maybe they, we can jerk you off and and throw you a fucking, you know... Request-based. A bit you've heard before. And I know, and, and actually, I, I, I've been doing that lately. And I, and I know that other comedians that I really respect do do that. Brian Regan and, and I think like Gaffigan does too, like where they... They do their new set, and then in the end, they're like, hey, thanks for sitting through that. <laughs> you know, I'm, sure, I'm sure they enjoy it, you know, but, yeah. but also then here's some things that you're familiar with. But also, you you know, I'm trying to think, like, if I ever, like, the way that I listen to stand-up, and I do listen to stand-up, the way that I listen to it, and I, and I, I choose to listen to things that I enjoy sometimes, that I know I'm not, I know, and I... And I can listen and I think, oh, I can't wait. This is coming up. And so I start thinking like, how, God, I, I look into this setup and, and I'm listening to them set it up. And I think, man, they fucking, at this moment, you know, they knew what was next. Yeah. And, and they're setting it up, you know, and I love that. I love thinking about like what they were thinking about in the setup. Cause I know what I'm thinking about in the setup and I get excited. I get really excited to surprise somebody. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I do have like some weird, not resentment, but like, uh, like this kind of like this angry thing that like musicians just have it so fucking easy. They just go into a studio, some producer that's smarter than them helps them craft their song. And that's not always the case, but generally helps them craft their music, craft it, puts a touch on it, a vibe dynamics and then it's done and then if people like it they can play it for the rest of their fucking life that's it just press play and fucking write it out they don't have to work it they don't have to do anything and 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 i, I get jealous of that actually i'm like you know as i get older and tired and you know like a fucking what's the word curmudgeon I wish I could just press play sometimes, but then when I'm not pressing play and I'm, and I'm on stage, I actually really, you know, love it. I had a really good time last night. I, I, I was kind of not really doing my regular thing. I was just kind of trying to, you know, and I do that more now where I just try and like, just leave it open and it feels good to like, leave it open. And then it turns into, I don't know if like, if you go do an hour, there's room, you've got room, you can explore and then last week I got asked to do just like a seven minute set at a place. And I went in and fucking, I mean, you know, I could jerk myself off here, but yeah, I fucking murdered. And I did what I'd been doing on the road, taking room and I cut all the fucking room out of it and just did the points and crushed. And I walked off my friend that's like, he's like, where's all that material from? I'm like, yeah, I've been on the road, man. That's what happens. I've been out there and that's what I found. <laughs> what I, what I, 
I'm, in, I'm interested. Okay, there's a lot to talk about there. So I'm, I, I want to come back to this idea of the stuff you were doing 10 years ago, just because... Tell me if, this, if my take on it is, is right or wrong. It seemed to me like you were doing very sharp one-liner get-to-understand jokes. Like, I, I love yeah. one-liner, like a big kind of... Uh, like the soup or salad one-liner. Yeah? yeah. So, yeah. you know, a great little joke, which I won't murder now, but, you know, people can watch this online. I don't even know if I could repeat it, but, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something about being offered uh, super, getting excited about a super salad. And yeah, like the, super the, salad. an extraordinary salad. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's just, a, it's just a, a, a very perfectly written little gem of a one-liner. And you were doing a lot of those, strumming a guitar, banging through, it, like, excellent joke after excellent joke. And, then, and I saw that after seeing your set last night, where, so my take on it is kind of like, oh, you taught yourself how to do comedy via one-liners, and now you're able to do kind of the more, I don't mean meandering, but a far more, you know, a far more open kind of exploratory style because underneath it is the skeleton of someone that can write a proper fucking joke. Yeah. Yeah. There's a joke that I told last night that came out um, where I say, I, I say I'm, I run in and I rush to buy, I'm buying a bird. And... <laughs> And they tell me it's $16, and I say, really, $16 for a whole life? <laughs> and and when I wrote that, I thought, like, I actually knew it was going to work immediately uh, before even doing it on stage. I just knew, like, oh, my timing, I know how, like, I can manicure that. But uh, that's what I find joy in now, is writing something like that, a concept, uh, which is could be absurd to people and also, also at the same time be, like, yeah, that is crazy. 16 bucks for a whole life, huh? Oh, seems like a funny idea. Uh, there's another joke, though, that I did last night that I wrote in the car uh, one day because I was like, you know, I have a four-year-old kid and I'm just sick of, like, I realize that I explain that I'm a dad on stage and I hate that. Like, why yeah. do I have to say that? Because I feel like somebody that's actually a dad just says, my kids. They don't have to say, hey, before I get into my kids, just so you know, I'm a dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, why am I explaining that? You know, maybe I'm afraid of my age or I'm afraid that people think I'm not hip or cool or whatever, but... And then I kept saying, like, I'm a dad, I'm a dad, I'm, you know, in my head. And and then I just kind of, like, said out loud as I was driving, I'm a dad, and like most dads, I do have a kid. And I said that, and I thought, well, that's going to get a laugh. Yeah. And I did it that night and it got a huge, like I opened with, you know, just literally open. And that's how I challenged myself. Like last night, that bit about my gray hair and that I wrote that just here. And I, I just kind of came up with it. I called my wife and said, listen, I want to make this work. That was kind of the punch. And I thought, well, I think I'd, that'd be a good opening. Let's try it. Yeah. Because if you can't, if you can't write something and just fucking, if you don't believe in it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, dig it under some old bit in the middle. I'm, I want to... That's far more standard, isn't it? Is put it between two good bits. I want to showcase it right up front and see if it, see if this baby's got legs. And then if it doesn't, then I want to, I want to feel the pain of what that felt like. And I want to have to work out of it. But the difference between those two jokes that you, that you mentioned, the gray hair bit and the... No, it's not. It's... It, the one you mentioned just before that. We started with the bird. The dad. $16 for oh, a life. Yeah. And the dad one. The dad one is like a joke joke, right? Yeah. You could write that. Anyone mm-hmm. anyone could look at that on paper and go, oh, that's going to work. Because, yeah. you know, it makes sense. There's a setup. We mm-hmm. understand the context. Bang. Mm-hmm. But $16 for a life and finding gray hair and ringing my wife and saying, 
how are we going to make this work? <laughs> those are those are much more open fields. Do, do you see what I mean? Like, right, the joke is yeah. closed. It's not a closed loop. The joke is this is funny because it has an internal power. You that have to know. Yeah, it's. It, I don't know whether it's. And sometimes on paper, I, I can. I can. This has been a little bit of the problem in my career. Is sometimes my jokes written on paper don't make sense to people. You have to, and that. May, and I don't. You know, and I would have gone through an insecure point in my life where I've been like, that means I'm shit. No, that means I'm actually not funny. I mean, it's all charm and fucking and confidence, whatever. But no, that just means that I have a cadence and a timing. And if you're in a room with me and I do it the way that I do it, yeah, it's gonna, it's you're gonna like it. But maybe right now when you're alone reading this in a script, yeah, it doesn't make sense to you. The way I came to Mitch Hedberg was before I'd even seen him live, someone sent me a link, someone mentioned he was this great one-liner comic who I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. So I looked at his Wikipedia page and he's got a load of quotes and none of them are funny because they don't work on paper. Yeah. And I was like, oh, don't think much of him. And then maybe, you know, a few months later, I looked at the video and I was like, oh my God, like I, all of this works in the air. It just doesn't work written down. And I think, I absolutely think you have a similar quality in that you, it is, but it, it, it isn't solely that it's persona driven or rhythm driven. It is... It's something else. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I have a th- I have an interesting thing about Mitch. Um, I mean, I idolize Mitch, and, and I got a chance to meet him, and then he passed. And uh, I have I have a, my my one of my best friends is a graphic designer, and he designs all my stuff. I put a lot of thought and work into like my album stuff, you know, all that shit. And him and I have always partnered together. And uh, Mitch Hedberg's widow got a hold of me, said I really like. Your, your album design, who designed that? And I said, oh, my friend Chris. He was my roommate at the time. And they were doing, like, a 10th anniversary, something for Mitch. And so me and Chris got to drive out to his cabin, Arrowhead. And we I think we had four boxes of all of his notes. Everything. Oh, my God. Every journal, everything. We took him back to our house. And he was using them to, like, scanning and designing and finding, like, ways to, like, design the website. Well, I was literally, I didn't leave the house for a week. I, oh my God. I sat on the ground and looked at every page of every journal that Mitch had written. I mean, it sounds to me like, in, in retrospect, it's almost like you'd say to your friend, uh, hey, do you want to come up with some concept that means we need to take away four boxes worth of his notes? Because that would be exactly. Yeah. And it was That's fascinating. Incredible. Yeah. Well, to, talk to me about that. I mean, it was just no drawings, in the world it's a lot of drawings. Me. Um, a lot of different set lists, like, you know, like I have the same kind of process where I, I can't do a show if I write out, if I don't write out a set list, I have to, even if I don't look at it, I need to physically think of what the show is. And if I don't, then I walk on stage and feel like I don't even care, you know? And I could tell that there was a lot of that where he was just writing out like his jokes so that he would remember, you know, I mean, you know, obviously the, the tragedy of, of Mitch and drugs and there were some really trippy drawings um, no like diary posts but letters letters that he was probably just writing to himself from a city and I actually started doing that when my when my wife uh, was pregnant found out I started writing postcards every city and sending them to my unborn son you know like something like and I think I was encouraged from like Mitch but it was like uh, hey buddy uh, I'm in Denver you know, elevation here is a factor, and, and, and when elevation comes into it, hydration is, you know, crucial. So, you know, when you get older, if you ever go to a high elevation place, I hope you hydrate. 
<laughs> and that's like this like box of postcards I wrote to my son with you know some travel tips <laughs> and, and I imagine like the other end of that being incredibly inconvenient for your son traveling out having to take a shoebox full of postcards with him to remember the advice yeah at that point they're gonna be like none of these are digitized no they're all hard copies yes my dad was a hipster and now the only way I can survive <laughs> but no I, I mean I, I love handwriting and and um I had this job at one point where I was writing uh, five minutes a week or five minutes a month, basically, for primetime television for Jay Leno, for the, his, his, you know, you've heard of the Tonight Show, yeah. And uh, and they were like, they wanted me to be like a correspondent, and I could write bits or whatever. And so every month I would basically have a five minute primetime TV segment, you know, and I had to fucking work hard to do that and. I, it was tough, like, every day, like, just, like, because no one else, no one was counting on me. They were like, yeah, if you don't finish it, then you just won't go on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. And I was writing this bit about daylight savings time, which is just this weekend, right? And I was, it was all about daylight spending time and how are we spending our time. And I was trying to figure it out. And I had, like, a couple jokes, like, you know, what does Flavor Flav go through, you know, on a day like this? And, <laughs> you know, like, I'd, I'd found some jokes, but I was kind of stuck. And so I just decided to write for an hour. I was just going to handwrite, whatever. I was going to write on a piece of paper. And I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing, and probably writing like I hate writing. This sucks. You know, just thinking and writing. And, and then I finally just wrote, enough is enough. It's the same word. <laughs> because I was so open, I wrote that sentence. Yeah, yeah. And I stopped and I like looked at it. Enough is enough. It's the same word. I mean, it's spelled the same way. It makes sense. Uh, and it, it immediately became one of like my, my audience's favorite joke of mine. Enough is enough. It's the same. Way. And I, the way that I, you know, to deliver it on stage is a little bit different than that. But yeah. like, it's just a solid joke. And it's, and it just came out of letting myself go for a moment, you know, and that, and I feel like that's what I saw a little bit in Mitch's stuff. It's like I could tell that he like he was just trying to let himself go, and and open up because below all of this is somebody that has an idea, and uh, that's interesting. And and if you actually consider that, then it's probably not going to come out that well. But if you get past those thoughts, then there might be something in there. Presumably you were enough of a fan of Mitch that when you were looking through his notes, if you had come across a fully formed joke that you didn't recognise, it would have been up for grabs. <laughs> I mean, that must have been in the back of your mind, The first right? thing I saw, well, the first one that I saw that was, it just was a, it was a full piece of paper with a Sharpie. And it said, uh, Every flight to the Bahamas is a red eye. And I, I like looked at it and I knew it, it's not on anything. He never said that. And I looked at Chris and I said, this is the cover of the fucking website right here. A picture of that. That's, this is the epitome of Mitch Hedberg right here. Perfect. Yeah, he, God, man. So funny when you like listen to like, the old, what was that joke about, like, the Fritos, you know, like, the with the grill marks, you know, that joke? But you, like, listen, and you're like, God. Yeah, that's the same thing I think about when I see that stuff. 
but I never have thought about it perfectly. Yeah. And he actually thinks about it perfectly. And, and I don't know what the word is for leanly, but it's lean. It's yeah. so lean. When you're talking about, you know, someone used the expression backstage last night, taking a set and compressing the air out of it. Yeah. It sounds very much like what you're talking about. It's on the road. It's out there. It's exploratory. Mm-hmm. You're kind of, you're, you're walking around in the material and then taking it, squeezing all of the air out of it. And going, yeah. There we go. That's, I mean, enough is enough. It's the same word. There's no, it, all of those words are necessary. Yeah. Yeah, when you find all the necessary words and you cut out the unnecessary. I used to be very, very focused on that. And I still am. Because you could go in front of your audience and they're just going to fucking love what you do. You know, they like you. They want to support you. And all the ideas are good. But then when you want to present it to the world, you got to cut that shit out. You got to cut all those words out. And then once they like you again, then you can then give them the extra words. You know, and they'll like, they'll give you a pass on it. So this is Nick. He's a really interesting character. Um, he, uh, this, this stuff about Mitch Hedberg is uh, phenomenal. What a story. So um, we will uh, return to the normal Edinburgh Fringe business uh, very soon. I have, as you will no doubt be aware, something like 12 episodes, 11 episodes in the can and three more to record. Even more than I could possibly get done while I'm up here. There's just so many people to talk to. Um, but uh, I have to kind of safeguard my, as you can hear, my voice, my mental health, the strength of um, running around seeing things and researching whilst performing my own show and um, if you are at the fringe of course do come and see me in the last few days uh, the show is called end of i'm at the liquid rooms warehouse at 250 every day but you know i mean realistically anyone that needs to know about that now knows about that and great fun it's been too um, do search for nick thune and and he's in a couple of movies as we talk about um, so have a little look for him on imdb not just google how exciting um, he is just a really lovely guy and um, a very, very talented comedian. So I, I do hope that if you haven't yet already paused this episode and uh, watched five minutes of him, worth pointing out as we discuss that uh, if you see Nick Thune from kind of the noughties, I hate using that term, but no one came up with anything better, um, then you'll get a very different kind of a sort of a dry, aloof one-liner comic uh, than what he does now. So search his recent stuff, and if you like that, then you can uh, sort of track back and see how it all developed. Uh, more from Nick in just a second, but if you are one of the increasing numbers of people who would like to join the Insiders Club, you can, of course, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for all your extra material um, from the most recent episodes. The stuff from Mike Kaplan will be up there shortly, um, as is all of the gear from the uh, the Acaster special, uh, from Dara O'Brien, from Russell Howard, and uh, numerous other comics as well. Plus, your chance to join the Insiders Club and pitch to interview me about the subject of your choice, uh, as well as... Um, oh, my God! We've not done comedy critique for ages. There we go. That's my homework. As soon as I get back from the fringe, uh, we will need to update ourselves with the the latest uh, group critique of... um, Who was it? Was it Ryan? I'm going to say Ryan Dalton. Let's hope I got that name right. I don't have any of the relevant stuff in front of me. Um, But uh, an American comic called Ryan. I have now collated your feedback. I'll be giving Ryan my own feedback uh, along with that. And we will play the next person's set. So if you would like to be part of all of that and join the workspace and have um, some insider chat and uh, recommendations of things to watch, important stuff to look out for in the world of comedy, join the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and donate to the show with £2 a month. And if you can't be faffed with that, it's very easy to set up. But if you can't be 
incredibly fat and you still want to donate, just donate anyway and then uh, don't bother setting up the thing. That's absolutely fine too. My thanks as ever to those of you who have uh, increased the size of their donation in order to enable other people to join the club, which remains some of the most uh, magnanimous and uh, joyful behaviour in a uh, kind of uh, listenership community that I've heard of. I have literally started showing off to other podcasters about how great you all are. So thank you. Um, That's all of that for now. Uh, Here is uh, the rest of this conversation with the brilliant Nick Thune. When you started writing, were you writing those one-liners? Is that how you started writing for your own stand-up? Yeah. Um, when I started, I was, I was very concerned about what people thought of me. And I was very insecure about what I thought of myself. And I wanted to present myself in a way... You know, it's like if you like have a first date and you think of all the best things you can say. I wanted to do that. I wanted to go into a first date and just say the best stuff. And so that was my stand-up. It was no words, nothing else. Here's this character, this guy. Here's these jokes. And was, when you say a character, was that... I know you don't mean a, a, literally a character. Yeah, yeah. Was it, it, it sounds to me like it was decisions you'd made about who you were on stage yeah. rather than things you'd learned. Yeah. I decided I wanted to be... I wanted to come off in a certain light. And, and, and when you do that, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not there anymore. And I have friends that have, I've also been there and then like decided like, yeah, I want to move away from that a little bit. Like I'm kind of sick of having to be this way, you know, like, and it's not anything big, you know, I mean, cause I have friends that I think are so funny and I'm never going to name a name, but when I'm around them, they're like the funniest person I know but then they don't bring that onto stage. And I don't understand it. I, I, and I don't know how to tell them that, you know, it's like... It's like telling someone they've got body odor, isn't it? It's like, yeah. they need to know. They, they, they would thank yeah. you. Eventually, they would thank you. And I try to, you know, sl- like slightly give them a thought or something, but they just will never be able to, I don't think. I think that's the thing. It's like, they don't understand what's funny about them. When you do, Vince Vaughn or somebody like an actor when you're like thinking about actors like Vince Vaughn at one point realized this is my thing people fucking love this and I have to bring this to camera you know and if I do I'm going to keep getting work stand up it's like if what man there's this thing you do that's so charming that like lights up my life like when you do it it just makes me laugh it makes me think of you I think I think this is who you are and you don't do that on stage at all how do you say that can you articulate what you think we are we the audience are delighted in in you the you now now that you know who you are hmm. I can only I can say I, I I see in my dad what people like you know and so my dad uh, I'll do a show in Atlanta and some guy will come up to me afterwards and be like I worked with your father two years ago, or I worked with your father for two years, like 20 years ago. And I just want to say, he's like the best person I've ever met. People respond that way to my dad. Okay. Is that, I don't know that his, your dad isn't. He's alive. No, he's alive. He's great. Yeah. No, he's, and my dad is just, he's just this, this, he's a, people love him, but he's, he's humble. He's not looking for attention. But if my dad's telling a story, let's just like, this is the best way to explain it at a restaurant. If there's a table of eight people. And one person is carrying a story and everyone's watching. 
And then the waiter comes up to takes an order mid-story. That's eight people that need to put their orders in. How do you pick that story back up? Does it, is the person so interested in telling the, the second the waiter walks away, they go. So anyways, what I was saying was, is that it's, it's just too long. It's gone too long. If my dad was telling a story and a waiter cut them off, took eight orders, at the end of the orders, they would walk away and my dad would be sitting there and somebody at the table would say, so Eric, you were saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People want him to finish. People love him. He doesn't have to, he wouldn't, and he wouldn't even finish the story if somebody didn't say that, you know, he's not. But I watch him and I watch what people like about him and I can like decipher like, you know, and I know it works for me. I know um, if there's a sincere setup and it seems like I'm concerned and then there's a silly follow up, you know, because silliness is really what I love. I love being silly. There's some. My favorite comedians were silly. I think there's a note, I may be wrong, I feel like there's a note of kind of petulance as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just a serious setup that then is, is just kind of daft. It's a serious setup that actually has a note of your flaw. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It's petulant. You have to add the flaw. Yeah, no, so I think, like, a new joke that I wrote this couple of days ago that I was trying last night about, like, seeing somebody and I'll, I'll do it, you know, like, because I think it's actually a funny, like, like I like, it, it's, you see somebody and you think, oh, my God, what, what do they have? What do they have that I don't? What, why they're happy, they're youthful, they have all these things and you wonder, what are you doing that I'm not doing? And I'm not above asking, you know, like I, I don't mind. I'm, I'll be vulnerable. I'll open up and say, hey, you're better than me. What, why? You know, and I, I asked this guy that I saw, I said, what are you doing? Like, what's your secret? And he said, well, I'm nine years old. <laughs> and I thought, well, shit. You know, how do I get that? <laughs> but like, I've been writing that joke and I've been working on it and trying to find the right way in and out of it. And, uh, and, and what it does show is that I'm insecure about my, I, yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm doing it right. In fact, I think I'm way off. Um, but, uh, you don't think you're doing what right? Oh, you're the nine, the nine thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, didn't know no, which, I didn't know no, which world. Oh, no, I don't know. No, I'm back to regular. I mean, I'm insecure about my life and my choices. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a nailed or dialed or um, I think I make a lot of mistakes and um, probably more than most <laughs> could be the end of me but you know you, you just like it, and, and I, I also it's like it's odd because you see like the people that I really love artists like Towns Van Zandt or like these people that I really like look to as like writers and, and songwriters or comedians or actors and I'm like wow why am I fucking fascinated with all these people that really were were like so flawed you know i mean and and but then the things that they made seem almost flawless you know because you can't take a towns van zandt song and poke a hole in it i mean it's, i've never heard of this artist oh towns. yeah yeah towns van zandt okay um, i named of? my son after him but uh it's he's a you know towns you refer to towns on stage i yeah. missed the very beginning of your set mm-hmm. and i thought that i must have that much so he's called towns yeah That's yeah fucking, that is a cool name I mean, and it's just based off this guy, the songwriter that I, you know, like admire so much, but his songs are just flawless, but he was so flawed. And I think there's definitely something to that. And there's a poetic, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm just, you know, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it's funny when you meet people that you admire, you meet people that are 
you think are so funny. I'm doing a show with one of them tonight, and I met him and realized he was just a guy, you know. And and he's a great guy, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. But like, I love like I just I you know I I briefly met him one time, uh, and then I opened for him, and then you know I was around him a little bit, and and I realized, oh my god, Jim's just a guy. But God damn it, if his stand-up isn't perfect, you know, and I watch him, I'm like, there's not, again, like Towns Van Sant, there's not a hole in there. You know, his stuff is so, he's, I mean, it's worked and worked and worked and worked. That, and that's a joke writer, his, his, he, his stuff is based off his character, you know, so there's jokes in there, good jokes that anybody could tell, but really it has to come from Jim. And that's, that's when you know you're onto something good, I think, because when, when, Someone else could maybe tell it. Like, I have this Norm MacDonald joke that I tell uh, a lot of people that I think is one of the... It's so good. And it's... Uh, Norm MacDonald, I, I love so much. Yeah. But Larry King was interviewing him, and he said, I heard your... You've said before that your dad was really funny. Can you tell us, like, a joke your dad would tell? And he goes, yeah, yeah, there's this joke. Uh, this, this, this older man memory with he was losing his memory and, and um, he went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed him these like memory pills and I love this telling this joke too because I feel like it really is in my world so the doctor prescribes him these these memory pills and, and he takes them and they fucking work I mean like he, he, they're working and one day he's out on his patio and and um, his friend comes over and he's telling his friend about these memory pills and, and his friend says well I I need those I have a memory problem what are they called I want to get them and he goes oh um what's a shoot it's like a flower and he goes like a, like a tulip and he goes no no it's like a like a big flower and he goes like a sunflower and he goes no 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 it's like prickly and it's actually romantic you could you know pin it on your jacket he says like a rose he goes yes Rose. Rose! What's the name of those memory pills? <laughs> and that probably won't come across audio-wise, but <laughs> God damn it if I don't love that joke. <laughs> and it's all in the detail. It's the, it's no, it's a romantic flower. And it's prickly. Yeah. And you I love those things. I love the smallest. And when I say stuff like that on stage, when I'm setting something up, I'm proud of it. I'm I'm proud of the picture. I want to paint one. You know, like painting this fucking picture yeah. and giving details that matter or don't matter, but they see, you know, you want them to see it, see yeah. the thing and mundane. Sean Patton has a, like you know, Sean's been on the show before. I saw him in, in mm -hmm. last year. I saw him just destroy at Esther's uh, two nights ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the lovely, it's one of those, it's almost like a comics moment, almost like a, a flourish. He, there's a line he says where he's referring to someone's behavior and he's like, is this guy a demon of sorts? And it's, you know I mean? it's that's so Sean of sorts. Yeah, like it's it's necessary in its superfluousness. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't add anything, and yet it mm -hmm. adds everything. Yeah. You alluded uh, a moment ago to mistakes that you've made. Mm -hmm. You said, yeah, because I'm not saying I haven't made mistakes. Maybe more than most. What what kind of thing are you talking about? You look rueful in a way that interested me. You know. Um... I mean, I've just, I just, I, I, I don't have a clear past. I, I, I was kicked out of high school. I, I sent to rehab at a young age in jail at one point. 
nothing serious, um, you know. But uh, <laughs> sorry, not like real jail, like kids yeah, jail, okay, kids gotcha. jail, kids jail. Yeah, I couldn't tell. In, this was in, like all eight under eighteen. Yeah, um, in your world, I couldn't tell whether uh, I was sent to jail. Nothing serious. Whether I couldn't tell whether the serious referred to the act you committed or the seriousness of jail, <laughs> which sounds quite serious. <laughs> I think just because we're yeah, in this world, like we're talking this right. yeah, 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 like my own, like a mental jail. <laughs> uh, no, but I, you know, I, 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 I didn't talk, I didn't do this bit on stage where I, I talk about, I'm like a notable alumni at a community college, which is just such a, mon, you know, like it's such a weird thing to be. It's, but like, I didn't graduate from the community college and I, I've, in my life have been, um, like people like me fucking up. You know, it, it's kind of, and I get celebrated for it because I can bounce back or do, you know, they're like, oh, it's Nick, you know, and like, you know, when I was young, like all my friends in my neighborhood were like really good at school, really good at sports. And I wasn't, but the parents all loved me the most. I was the guy that they all liked because, because everybody's rooting for Nick, you know? They, why, why do you think that is? Where does that quality come from? Charm. <laughs> I mean, I... I remember, like, my friends would sleep in. Like, we would have a sleepover. And they would, like, sleep till 10. I, I've never been a guy that sleeps in. I've been up at 10 or 7 as a child. So I would be up at 7 as all my friends are having a, were a sleepover. And I'd be downstairs having breakfast with their parents. <laughs> and I, I really quickly learned how to make eye contact with adults and how to entertain them. And that's, and I learned that from my dad, I'm sure. But like, you know, that, that, that kind of came in early. And then I, and then I learned how to manipulate adults, which is not a hard thing to do once you have their, their eyes, you know, like their trust or whatever. And, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I would say like the type of mistakes that I make are, um, nothing fatal. Uh, but you know, I, the other day, I just on the way here, this is a mistake I made. I forgot that I had a water bottle in my bag going through TSA and I'm like everything you could have to like basically not do anything. You just walk into the airport, you know, like I've got all of it. I don't get stopped. I don't, you know, so I had a fucking water bottle in my bag and I get through and they're like, we got to check your bag. I'm like, oh, I go, I know what it is. It's a water bottle. I forgot a but it's not like a, a plastic, it's like a, a bottle that I own that I had water in. And I go, I'll just empty it. And they go, you can't, you got to actually go out of the airport, empty it. And then you have to come back through all the stuff. And the guy's like, I'll, I'll walk you through, you know, I'll take you out and walk you back in. Like, And I'm walking and I go, just so you know, like, and I'm trying not to like fly off the handle right now, but this is the problem with TSA. The fact that you're focused on this fucking water bottle when who knows what people are walking through with right now. And the guy was like, I know, I know, I know, man. You know, and I'm like, I'm angry. I'm angry. And then we get out and the guy goes, uh, just so you know, I really like that DiGiorno joke that you do. <laughs> and I go, fuck. I go, seriously? You know who I am? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I like, I've seen you like Conan and you're, you're special. And I'm like, so now I'm a fucking dick, huh? Now I'm a dick because I was yelling about TSA. And he goes, no, man, I hate all that shit, too. And I was like, so you're going to give me a pass on this and not tell people that I'm a dick? 
And he said, yeah. And I go, all right. And I hugged him. <laughs> and that's my life. I fuck, up, I fuck up and do something dumb, make myself look like an ass, and then win it back. To where when I walked away, he was like, all right, man, that was fun. You know, and I'm like, yeah. Shit, could have gone bad. Because I have. I've been in a fucking Uber before where a guy was like, hey, man, my buddy used to work at uh, the Bright Spot. He said you were a dick one time. It's like, uh, a, it's like a diner. I'm like, yeah, probably. Because I'm a fucking person. And I might have been a dick once. <laughs> but a majority of the time, I think I'm a good guy. I just want to keep talking about some of the stuff you did last night briefly. The joke about uh, trust. What's trust? Yeah. With the ants. I have no question about it. I just love that bit. Is that a new bit or is that on the latest? It's pretty new. And it, that's, it, that's and he asked, he asked me that question, what's trust? Your son. Yeah, my son asked me what trust... Because I said, yeah, in a false scenario, I was trying to make up for him to, like, rescue these ants in the backyard. I sent him out there. I also kind of have a tangent that I do in that that I didn't do last night. This is more of, like, if it's all my fans and I'm still working on it, but, like... Because I ask him, I say, you know... I make up a false scenario and say there's these ants in trouble in the backyard. You need to collect them, bring them inside. We'll nurture them and then release them out of the front yard where I think they're going to have a better life. And he says, okay. <laughs> they're running into the glass sliding doors. It's funny. My, my aunt, my aunt embarrassingly ran into a glass sliding door. Think about an old woman running into a glass sliding door. It's nothing funnier. <laughs> and I've been thinking about it for years. I just fucking remember every moment of it. I remember her face. I remember the way she bounced off the door. I remember everybody's, like, the silence and the reaction. It was just beautiful. And, and I had this, I had I this. I can hear it. I can hear I had this noise. line once. I go, my aunt, uh, she's glass sliding door blind. <laughs> she can't see him. Uh, and then I finally brought it in, like, it's something I've taught and told people, and then I finally brought it into this bit about him running into the glass on the door. But I always say, when I say that, can I trust you? And I go, no, just let's sit on that for one sec. Before you hear what his response was, I asked my son if I could trust him to collect these 15 ants from under the deck and bring them inside. What did that mean? Did that mean, like, what is he going to do? Is he going to collect the ants and go over to the neighbor's house and say, my dad's fucking beating me? <laughs> like, what, can I trust you? <laughs> like, what, where is the trust here? Anyway, but, like... Yeah. It's kind of fun, actually, when you have a big, when you have a joke like that and you have, I have in all of those bits, if it's going right, I have other roads to hop onto yeah. that, that really will bring the, it, really a full experience because I feel like I'm really giving my full self when I do that shit. But also like last night I was like, all right, I just have to fucking crush for 15, like maybe, or not crush, but just, you know, I just have to do good for 15 minutes, keep their attention. There's some industry here. Let's just do the fucking, let's just do the skeleton. Let's just do it. Just go right through all the laughs. Even though some of them didn't necessarily get the laughs they should have, but that's the way it goes, I guess, too. When you get it wrong on stage, what is it that you're getting wrong? Timing. It's either timing or it's, it's my um, tone. Because tone, I mean, is everything for me. You know, it's my tone and it's like the comfortability and... Uh, the casualness of throwing something away is makes it really that that really is what sets everything you know and if I'm not being casual and tossing shit like you know people 
wonder, you know, like it almost looks like I'm working too hard or look, I don't know. Yeah. I think people expect me to look pretty, uh, like I'm not trying, but I like to sell, you know, like I want to be a salesman. I love sales. Um, and I'm up there selling, you know, I'm, I want you to buy my fucking product, <laughs> you know, really enjoy it. And, you know, and you can tell when you're, when, when, when the, when the buyer's interested, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, I guess certainly compared to the the one-liner style you had been focusing on previously. Now, because I, I I often think I, certainly when I was a newer comic, I really wanted to make sure I had jokes that I realised later I I, wa- I wanted to have jokes that would always save me. Mm-hmm. The jokes that were so good, I I'd, I'd be safe. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Well, you I always need you, something. You always need that, right? The it's like a. Uh, Yesterday I did this. We were out back. It was like two in the afternoon. Me, Sean Patton, a couple other local comics out back of Esther Follies and fucking Riff Raff shows up and they're millennials with guitars here for South By. And they say, what do you do? And I never fucking say what I do. But I just said, oh, we're stand-up comedians. And they did the line, the line that you never want to hear. Tell me a joke. Yeah. But the thing is, is I actually have that joke that I wrote that works 100% of the time. And the joke is very simple. It says the other day, it's, it's a sentence. The other day I walked into my roommate while I was masturbating. Works every time. Any person. And I did it. And they fucking all laughed. And Sean was like, what are you doing, man? I was like, <laughs> I guess sometimes you just have to do that. <laughs> I love Sean's reaction to that. You fuck, they're going to think it's okay now. You have enabled, you're encouraging them. You're encouraging that You've enabled that question. And I go, yeah, but I needed that laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I needed it. Sometimes you just need it. <laughs> what do you, uh, what will you continue to need from comedy? Well, it's the laugh, I guess, but, you know, it's funny, like, cause as, as I get more into acting and I really, I don't know how I feel about acting. It, it's, I enjoy the, I enjoy the, uh, the accolade, you know, like I like, I enjoy people telling me that I'm good or if I did good, but in the moment you, I need a laugh, you know? And I actually recently did this. I did a show, this show called Life in Pieces. My friend Colin Hanks is on the show and he got me the part. And like, it was a really fucking funny part. Like, it's one of the things where I was like, finally, somebody's not asking me to be like a straight lead guy. Like, I actually can be like a weird side character, which I think I'm good at. Because you normally get cast as a... I normally get cast as... Tall, tall, handsome, straight guy. Or yeah, whatever. Um, And... uh, this is a network, this is a CBS show, you know? So when you show up, we're filming on this neighbor, in this neighborhood of Marina Del Rey. There's fucking 200 people walking around part of this production. Crazy vans, trucks, everybody, actresses, there's a director, you know, and they wanted to do a rehearsal, you know? And a lot of times for rehearsals, I, as a comedian, I hold back a little bit because I want to surprise. I need the surprise. I want them to respond. So, if I hold back in the rehearsal and then I give full in the actual take, then I'm going to get the response maybe from a fucking sound guy over in the corner holding a boom mic. I'll see. I'll just notice him like almost laugh. Like I need that, you know? 
but I decided to go full on this rehearsal. And it's, it's, it's a drastic scene where, you know, we're going over to like ask this woman why her dog's barking all the time. And it's an old woman. And it turns out it's a seizure dog. And, and, uh, you know, and I, and I, my character has been established as a very nice kind of, you know, aloof dad or whatever, just a guy, not nothing cheesy jokes. And as we walk up to the door, Colin says to me, Hey, let me talk to her. I'm pretty good with people. And I go, yeah, yeah, you do it. And right away he goes, uh, hi ma'am. It's this old woman. I, I want to just say, and, you know, they're not filming, but everyone's surrounding. There's a hundred people watching us try the scene out. Hi, and he goes, hi ma'am. I, you know, I just want to say like I'm neighbor. And before he could finish, I go, listen up fucking bitch. If your dog doesn't shut the fuck up, I will shut it up. And I just go like, I'm yelling at her, you know, and it's like swearing and it's really well written. And then she's like, oh, oh, you know, and then she like shuts the door and I turn around and my, my timing was this. I, I'm fucking yelling and screaming at this 90 year old woman. And the second the door shuts, I turn around to call and I go, I think that went good. <laughs> Not scripted. Literally made a hundred to 200 people laugh out loud on a street in Marina Del Rey and Colin said to me afterwards, he goes, no one's ever gotten a laugh like that in a rehearsal. That was insane. And I go, yeah, tonight when I get home, I'm going to wake up my boy. I'm going to tell him, Hey daddy got a laugh. <laughs> Downs wake up. Uh, daddy got a laugh on a rehearsal today. <laughs> but it, I mean, it made my fucking year. You've got to tell me what happened in the take. Oh, it went good, but it was never as good as that. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> um, but now, you know, it's funny. It's a lot. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a decent show, and people come out to shows. You know, it's 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 always fun when you do something that you like, and then people come up to you after a show or somewhere, and they're like, they name that thing. You know, right now there's a, a movie that I'm in. I'm not going to say a name, but like, I'm not really that proud of it. And yesterday, Bo Burnham texted me, hey, saw that movie. You're so good in it. You, you totally, you know, whatever. He's, you, you like, he said nice things. And I go, I'm, I'm actually, like, bummed you saw it. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't have seen that movie, man. But, uh... Is that the equivalent of after doing a set, after doing a show somewhere, and your cousin's friend comes to see it and comes up and goes, oh, that was so great. And you're that guy going, oh, that was my best stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've, stopped, I've learned how to not do that anymore. Yeah. Like, with someone like Bo, I can say that. Like, yeah, sure. But, like, from now, like, whenever, like, somebody comes to a show, like, it's just, and I, just a person that's not a comedian, I've learned to, like, not even hinge on explaining to them. You know, like, I don't want to get into, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel that good about it. You know, like, I, I just, like, you just just say, yeah, thanks, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks for coming. And then if I want to talk to one of the openers about it or my friend or my wife or I'll tell them that I didn't enjoy the show or whatever. But it never it's never beneficial to ever tell anybody like that. Um, because then it's just like, then they then you just open a fucking can of worms where they're like, what do you mean? Why? Like, oh, I don't want to explain this shit to you. It's also insider shit that you're going to all of a sudden realize that I'm insecure. <laughs> I don't need that. Are you happy? Yeah, there's things that make me happy. Um, 
I just bought a house, got a, you know, a nice family. And so I really enjoy that. Right now, I'm working a little harder than I want to work, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm touring more than I would like and having to pay for a house, which, you know, that's just the way life goes. But definitely, like the other day to my dad, like I, I just said like, yeah, I'm, de- I'm depressed. He's like, why? I'm like, because life's fucking hard, <laughs> you know? And I've dug myself a fucking ditch. I have a mortgage and, you know, like I want my son to like be in a good school and, you know, and, and because of that, I actually have, can't be home. Like, because the only way that I make money is this right now. Um, Testify. So like, yeah, it's, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's not easy. But at the same time, I find a lot of joy in my life, you know, and like, uh, I do find happiness, but you know, as a whole, I think sometimes I might like, if I were sitting down and thinking, you'd be like, man, he's wow. Are you all right? (laughs) You know, like, are you okay, man? Like, no, I'm not okay. Is anybody, I don't know. I don't know. I think some people are okay. And I'd love to fucking figure that out. I mean, I had a therapist, I've I've gone to multiple therapists. My parents sent me to a therapist when I was 14. I found out a week later that he was a a family friend and I never trusted a therapist until my last one. I finally was honest. You know, like every other therapist, I was just trying to come off like a fucking cool dude. (laughs) <laughs> get that cool dude certificate from your therapist yeah, yeah. Ace tip. Uh, but then finally I just like said to the guy I'm like yeah man I think I'm like yeah, I think I'm really hurting you know like and I don't know why because everything seems good I, I, my uh, I mean my wife said to me the other day I was like really frustrated and like just telling her like it's yeah it's you know what I just told you it's hard life's hard it sucks right now and she's like but you have it really fucking good you know that right and I was like I guess is that the way it looks (laughs) but you know it 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 doesn't always feel that way and then you do catch those moments where you get like 150 people to laugh at rehearsal and are you uh you do your job right and people are, you're, you feel like, oh good, somebody trusted me and then I came through. That feels good. Um, and you see your son like slide down the slide of the playhouse that you paid somebody to make in your backyard and you think, man, what if he's got, he loves it. He, I, I, I'm glad that we could do that for him, you know? But, uh, and then I get, you know, the fucking airport at 5.30 on a, on a Wednesday to go to Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm just like, that can be a little dark. I don't know why. Because it should just be exciting. But, and I remember somebody telling me that once, that one of my therapists at some point said, like, you know that, like, anxiety and anticipation are basically the same feeling in your body. It's just your brain is choosing to pick one of them. And you should, instead of, like, feeling anxiety about something, just be excited about it, you know? And so I try and, like, re... I try and, like, reprogram that a lot. Um, and it works, generally, yeah. And I think sometimes, too, like, I love to feel sad. You know? Like, I, I think I really... It's like you like to listen to a sad song, you know? You, you Yeah. I like to feel that way. I've spent a lot of time... I realize now I spent a lot of time doing that. Really 
wallowing is is exactly the right word. Wallowing, wallowing yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels feeling like I'm f- you, you're feeling an extremity of emotion, mm-hmm. and that's pleasurable in the sorrow to allow yourself. I did that for too long. I've spent too long doing that, mm-hmm. and I think I've programmed myself quite poorly in some respects because I. I didn't realise I was doing it at the time, but I was wallowing. I was spending time feeling sad, reflecting on, you know, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, whenever I was in relationships, I'd break up with someone and it would last forever. The break, oh, you know, yeah. the breakup would happen and I would be sad about it years later and looking mm-hmm. wistfully, listening to that song again. And, stuff. and I think in doing that, that's, that's the opposite of self-care in some ways. You do need a period of that. But then I think it's almost, it's not just the absence of self-care, it's the opposite. I feel like I was training myself to be sad about things. And well, that's what I love. Have you, did you do get a massage from Abby? Here? I did get a massage from Abby. She she spoke with me a lot about self care, and and I and I realized that like I kind of deprived myself of that shit, you know, and and maybe I should actually try and take care of myself every now and again because I think I I think part of the wallowing is not allowing those things, you know, when really it's like there's lots of great options and ways to feel better and you know be better. Do you think you deserve them? No, but that's the, that's that, that's the wallow feel though, right? That's, so you actually have to just like allow them. Although sometimes when you don't feel like you deserve something and you treat yourself to it afterwards, you're like, there's a guilt, you know, some sort of a, you know, I mean, I have like, I have an office space uh, that I work out of and I go there and like you know, to write and kind of whatever, run this corporation that is Nick Thin, <laughs> which is a very small corporation. But, uh, you know, you try to figure out like, all right, what's next? What are we doing? Let's get everybody up. Uh, you know what? I need a massage. <laughs> I'm going to take a half day today and go get a massage. Everybody. I, <laughs> I feel guilty about every pleasurable thing I do because it's, yeah. a, it's a one-man band. It's yeah. a one-man corporation. A one-person corporation, and and absolutely, I completely relate to a lot of those things. I mean, from the outside, it's hilarious to hear someone who is in movies and in TV shows and, like, you know, a, a provably excellent stand-up comic and has a wife and a child and a, and a mortgage and an office space. You know, you have all of the things. I often feel like I'm living the dream life of my 25-year-old self. Yeah. Like, I've nailed it, except now I have to do all those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of everyone's life is I've built, I've successfully built an incredible cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I've got. Yeah, in my office I have, like, a TV that Adam Carolla gave me <laughs> for free because I did his podcast. And like, I brought a friend in the other day and he's like, look, he's like, sweet, that's a, you got, you just got that TV free. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and so what you do, you just, you can come here whenever you want and watch TV. And yeah, yeah, we have a cable and everything. He's like, that's fucking cool, man. I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess young me would have thought this was awesome too. I, I should probably remember that it's awesome. I remember this. I, I maybe we can end on this because I got to go to that thing. Sure. I uh, I remember in eighth grade, our teacher did this exercise with us where we decided how we wanted to live our life, where we saw ourselves living, and you could pick. And there was like a list, like a house in a suburban town or an apartment in a big city, and you pick everything. You pick all the things that you want in your life, what car you want, all that shit. 
And then in the end, it actually calculates out a price. And the price is, is what that costs per year. And so you look at it and you think, okay, so I think what I had chose at the time was $60,000 a year. This is in like 1994 or something, you know, $60,000 a year to live in this condo and in New York city for this and that and whatever. And then take that price and you put it on another piece of paper. And that's the piece of paper that shows you what you need to get that, what education you need, what type of job you need. And you think, okay, well, fuck, I guess there's things you got to do to get to that. Okay. You know, and it's all kind of coming into a picture. And I remember in the end, I just was so overwhelmed. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that, you know? And, and now I like look back and I think, well, that was, that project was way off <laughs> because whatever I'm doing is there, there was no way to write that in, <laughs> but, but like, you know, I can, that makes me proud. That makes me excited. That makes me think, oh, I figured something out. I've, you know, got more of that in me. But yeah, I guess if, if I were just like walking around happy and I don't think I'd be able to create anything or do anything, but I just have to like navigate that water between letting it go too far. And I wonder if that's healthy to kind of try and bounce between, between those. But, uh, I definitely know that when I'm feeling feelings, it encourages me to create, I don't know, because it's a way out, you know, and if there's, there's not something I need to get out of, then I probably won't do shit. Probably just like buy a fucking hot tub <laughs> and enjoy it. Thanks, man. So thanks to Nick. Do check out his work on Spotify, as I mentioned. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation, and I am being tracked down the street now by a group of uh, tourists, so I will try and uh, remain audible. Um, I have just one week left of the Fringe. I've had a fantastic time here, um, and uh, the people I have left to record with, Alex Edelman, whose show I saw was just, just superb, uh, Laura Davis, again, I, I saw Ghost Machine, which is a much lauded performance of hers, which I really enjoyed. I, I absolutely love her kind of um, non-ghost costume-wearing stuff up as well she's really terrific so conversation with her coming up soon and with luck with luck judah friedlander we're, we're trying to sort of sort some details there he's obviously not in town for long and in a lot of demand but um, you'll know him as uh, the guy from 30 rock with uh, the uh, world champ hat uh, the long hair and the glasses you know that one from the writers room well him actual judah friedlander um he is hopefully going to be coming on the show soon plenty more people to bring you as well so that will do me for now no post amble uh, i am as you can hear in the throes of administrative uh, duties and um have been spending most of my mornings mediating between warring toddlers i've got a, i mean i won't post this gif because it's of children <laughs> but uh, there are uh, there's a really funny thing which my phone automatically made do you know this if you have a google device it creates things unbidden it just goes oh that looks that was a fun video let's turn that into a gif or gif but it's not, it's gift. And um, uh, this ludicrous, I've been showing it to people around the festival. You know, they're like, how's it going on? Well, this is my home life. And it's just three toddlers and a, ma- and a baby madly kicking a ball around our living room. I'm like, that, that is my home life. And it's exhausting and uh, enormously joyful. Um, and also, it registered. How scary is this? This has turned into a post amble. Just a brief one. My phone, if this happened to you, my phone registered a bunch of videos of me and the Boutros and uh, his mum, but, you know, 
mostly Boutros-centric videos. This is my son for the uninitiated, uh, two and a half these days. Um, and it automatically edited 15 videos and it, 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 like, over the last year and then called it into a mini-movie and put sort of quasi-meaningful music over it, kind of generic music, and then called, titled the video They Grow Up So Fast. And I was like, what in the name of Christ is this? I didn't make this. The phone has done it automatically, done some sort of auto-editing function where it's like there's movement and then when the motion stops, it goes, OK, time to cut to the next clip, and puts this quasi, you know, generic music that's like, oh, this is just, they grow up so fast, kind of, you know, twinkly piano. And I, I watched, I was like, Jesus, what is the... And then it really got me. <laughs> By the end, I was uh, sort of welling up, going, well, I mean, turns out editing's redundant. What else? What's next? What's next on the uh, the great pile of things, that um, of jobs that can no longer be done by humans. It wasn't a perfect job, but it was enough to kind of get me and go, oh, God. I sort of resented it and then went, I love you, Google, in a frankly horrifying way. That's all for now. And thanks again to Nick Thune. Thank you to pod consultant Peter Dobbing. Uh, thanks to Nathan Wood for producing and editing this episode. And um, thanks to everyone that I've spoken to up here. And thanks to everyone who's been coming to see the show and saying nice things about it on Twitter, at ComComPod, if you'd like to get in touch, or email me info at comedianscomedian.com. I will warn you, my sort of two-week-long average response time to emails uh, emails is probably slightly increased. What with all of this? And then afterwards, a staycation. I'm going to turn my phone off for a week. Stay in my house. Poke my kid in the tummy. That's the plan. <laughs> you know, in a pretty friendly way. Speak to you soon. <laughs> 